Good morning, everyone. For those of you who don't know, my name is Cheryl, and this is my friend Sunshine, and we're so excited to be here today. I'm excited, I'm excited, I'm excited for sure! I know, we don't get to be in an adult church very often, do we, Sunshine? That's not why I'm excited! Oh, I was excited to be in grown-up church. Well, it's because you're grown-up! Yes, I am. Why are you excited to be here today? Well, today is a special day! Oh, that's right, it's the 4th of July weekend. We're going to have a picnic, fireworks. It's going to be great, isn't it? No, I'm not excited about some dumb 4th of July picnic or fireworks. Why, this is way better than that. Why, much, much, much better. Wow, something better than 4th of July fireworks and a picnic. What could that be? Do tell. Well, it's a special day because I'm being invited to a tea party. A tea party? Yeah. My. What kind of a tea party are you going to? Well, can you keep a secret? Well, I... Yeah, sure. Can you keep a secret? Yeah. Well, you see, I'm being invited to Pastor Pete and Doris's tea party. <laughs> um, Sunshine? No, you can't go. You're not invited. What makes you think you're invited to Pastor Pete and Doris's tea party? Well, I heard Brittany. You know, she works out there, and she said that they were having a tea party. And, of course, naturally, naturally, of course, they'd invite me. I mean, who wouldn't invite me to their tea party? Um, Sunshine, um, I, I don't think that you're invited. What do you mean? I got a new dress and everything. Look at this new dress. Why, I got it yesterday at Kohl's. 60% off. What could be better than a, a new dress 60% off at a tea party? I just know they're inviting me. Um, Sunshine, the tea party was last week. What? <laughs> Hannah, tell me it's not so. <laughs> Hannah, the tea party was already, wasn't it? was just for their grandkids? What do I look like, chub liver? <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, I, I'm just afraid that you're not one of their grandkids, so you weren't invited. Gotta be kidding. You know, we don't need all this commotion. Commotion? Of course we need commotion! What's life without commotion? <laughs> Peaceful? Well, I'm just appalled that they wouldn't invite me. Why, I don't think I'll ever be able to forgive them. Oh my goodness, you know, Pastor Pete and Doris are very sweet people. Why, some of the sweetest people I've ever met. You really need to forgive them. Well, I just don't think I can. Sunshine, look at me. No, I can't. <laughs> Sunshine, why can't you look at me? Because if I move my head, I might catch a glimpse of them, you know, 
sunshine. Um, God wants us to be forgiving people. You know, the, the Bible tells us that God is a God of love and forgiveness, and he wants us to be like him, and he wants us to be forgiving. Well, I just don't think this forgiveness stuff is all it's cracked up to be. Why? I'm just cracking up thinking about it. Oh, I didn't get invited to the tea party. How could they? Oh, you're giving me a headache, sunshine. You know, people who don't walk in forgiveness, they're being cheated out of what God has for their lives. Well, I don't like to be cheated out of stuff. Well, I want everything I've got coming to me. Sometimes I wonder what you've got coming to you, sunshine. <laughs> you know, if you don't want to be cheated out of what God has for you, then you've got to walk in forgiveness. Well, I don't know much about that stuff. I'm more into pretty dresses and tea parties and stuff. Well, you know, maybe Pastor Bruce could help you out today. Could you maybe help her out this morning and teach her a little bit about forgiveness this morning? Well, I can try, but I don't know. See. You think he's smart enough? <laughs> I think so. He knows an awful lot about God's Word. Well, uh, do you think he'll take me to a tea party after he's done? Well, he does love chai tea from Starbucks. Maybe he'd take you to Starbucks or something. Could I get hot cocoa? Hot cocoa on a day like today? I don't like tea. <laughs> you wanted to go to a tea party. Well, that's because I'm the sunshine of life. And I belong at every tea party, even if I don't drink tea. All right, all right. You know, I just don't understand. But Can I wear my new dress? To, to, to the we, tea party. To the tea party we're going to have at Starbucks when you're not going to drink tea. Yes, yes. You, can, yes you can wear your new well, dress. Well, you know, because I look lovely. You do look lovely. I look lovely in anything. No, you don't. You, look, you do not look lovelier than Cheryl. You're gonna be kidding, right? I know, I know. More crisis and more need to forgive, right, Sunshine? I don't know if I'll ever be able to forgive that one. That's okay. You know, let, let's let him get on with the, the message. Let's go sit down there and you can maybe learn something. Okay, but that's awfully close to Pete and Doris. <laughs> Okay, um, to start the sermon here, I need a little bit of help. As a matter of fact, I need a lot of help. Yeah, I want you to turn to someone who's sitting next to you and say, this is only going to work if we all participate, all right? So here we go, let's try it. This is only going to work if we all participate. Now, if you tell yourself that one or two people sitting out won't make a difference and you choose to be that one or two people, trust me, it's going to make a difference. So here's what I need. I need everyone to stand up and to come forward and stand between between the front row of pews and, and the steps right here. All right, so everybody come on forward. Press in a little bit because this is the only way to tell this story. It's for everyone to press in, tightly moving together, pretending that you like each other. Just pretend the person next to you showered and used deodorant this morning and everybody press in. There's more space back there. Come on in. In order to hear the preacher, you have to press into small spaces. That's at least the way the story goes. The story that I'm going to tell this morning. 
So here we go. Are we ready? You ready, Pastor Mitch? Absolutely. Fantastic. All right. So here's the way the story goes. Jesus was minding his own business, drinking strawberry, because everything good happens around strawberry lemonade, drinking strawberry lemonade at someone's house in Capernaum. It was his hometown, and so everybody heard, Jesus is at home. And as they heard, the word started to spread, and as word spread, everybody crowded into the house where Jesus was at. And Jesus decided, they're here, have crowd, we'll teach. That's kind of the way we preachers are. You gather together ten people in your house and invite me. Not only better, you better have brownies. <laughs> but I'll, I'll preach if I'm there. Is that correct? correct. That's correct. Alright. So he is there. Who almost fell. <laughs> At least there would have been plenty of you there to catch me. So they're all there, crowded in, just kind of like this. Except you have probably too many gaps for to have been in that, in, in that house. So they're all there and Jesus is teaching about what we do not know. It's not really important, so we're going to move on. And suddenly, they hear a noise above. Now, I can tell you this much. If you came to my house and started tearing apart my roof, you'd better be a roofer and you better have shingles with you. <laughs> But their roofs were not like our roofs. And so they heard a noise and they saw some gentlemen who were taking apart the roof because it wasn't like ours. And they were going to let down a friend on some sort of a bed through the ceiling and he was going to be let down kind of right in front of Jesus. The goal was to land him right in front of Jesus. So while everyone's packed in there and it's so tight that they can't get anybody else in, they decided the only way that they could get their friend to see Jesus was to let him in through the roof. So they do that. And he comes and he lands kind of right in front of where Jesus was at. Jesus looked at him and said, friend. Now what follows here is the whole point of the story. So you've got to pay attention to what follows. Because what we hope follows, because the man couldn't walk, the man had been, was paralyzed of some sort, had all sorts of physical issues, and when you're paralyzed, all sorts of other things set in. So what we're hoping, he says, is you're healed. That's what we're hoping for. That's what the friends were hoping for. They were hoping that Jesus would touch him or smear something on him or say something, some sort of, some sort of formula or incantation, or he would do something. Something. So they let him down, and the man lands right here, and Jesus looks at him and says, Your sins are forgiven. Is that any way to treat someone? Just try that. So walk around the grocery store and look at them and tell them, you're a sinner, your sins are forgiven. Now, they may... Just an experiment, you know. People will treat you like they treat sunshine. They will laugh hysterically at you. I ask you, is that any way, is that any way to talk to someone? What kind of a statement is that? Your sins are forgiven. Who in the world would ever do something like that? You're all gathered together in someone's house tomorrow and Aunt Tootsie is there with her potato salad and so is Aunt Yo-Yo who... We won't talk about her cooking. They're all there and you just look at somebody and say, your sins are forgiven. Now on your way back to your pew, ask one or two people, shake their hand, maybe someone you didn't know before coming in and ask them, who says stuff like that? Okay, so on your way back right now, just find somebody you don't know and shake their hand and somebody you do know and ask them, who says stuff like that? Who says stuff like that? What kind of a man says, your sins are forgiven? What kind of a man indeed? 
And as they heard this unfold, and you can find the story in Mark chapter 2 if you'd like to turn there and follow along the first 11 verses. Um, We'll be referring to a couple of verses there in just a moment, so you can open your Bibles there. And as this story unfolds, we see Jesus who's there teaching, and he looks at the man who's been let down through the roof, and he says, your sins are forgiven, and I have to ask, along with all the people who are there, who exactly does he think he is? Now, the religious leaders picked up on this right away because they have PhDs in nonsense and stuff like that. So, did you hear the one about the PhD who once thought he was wrong? (laughs) Me either. (laughs) Did you hear the one about a PhD who proposed an idea that was really silly and later admitted it was silly? Yeah, me either. (laughs) So, here they were. I'm writing a whole string of them. I'll try to do better. (laughs) So here they were and all these religious leaders, people who knew what they were talking about. After all, they had gone to Notre Dame. (laughs) Not Marquette, Notre Dame. They were all there. Pastor Pete went to Notre Dame and we're just, we're just a little rivalry because we won't, we'll wait until basketball season and see how that plays out this year. They were all there, people who knew what they were talking about. And they understood immediately, only God can forgive sins. And so that's what they said. They looked at each other and they said, only God can forgive sins. Who does he think he is? He's forgiving sins. He's saying your sins are forgiven. And as this discussion continued to unfold, Jesus, even in a crowded space, in a crowded room, knew exactly what they were talking about and looked at them and asked them a very, very alarming question. He says... Is it easier to forgive sins or to heal? Now that's a question that I think is worthy of our consideration. This story here lays it out for us and is really, it's technical terms, it's what they call a pronouncement story. It's a pronouncement because there's an announcement made about who Jesus is. These happen all throughout the Gospels. And we can tell that it's a pronouncement because of two verses, which I would like for us to read. If you look down, please, at Mark chapter 2, verse number 11. Mark chapter 2, verse number 11. I say to you, Jesus is now talking, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose immediately, picked up his bed, and went on his way. They were all amazed, glorifying God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Like what? The healing? Well, they may not have ever seen a man let down through a roof like that. They may never have seen a healing just like that. But that's not exactly what they're talking about. Look back at verse number 7. At verse number 7, they all ask this question, Who can forgive sins? Well, apparently Jesus can. Apparently Jesus was in the business of looking at people and forgiving sins and saying, Your sins are forgiven. And as He said that, they left that place saying, We've never seen anything like this before. Their pronouncement was, This must be someone fantastic who forgives sins, who offers an astonishing amount of forgiveness to you, because that's who Jesus is. He offers you an astonishing forgiveness. And they were amazed at that fact. They were amazed that Jesus would forgive sins rather than saying to the man, you are healed. Perhaps the message is the same, but the forgiveness is so spectacular here that they were taken back by it. And they understood that it was only God who was able to forgive. That it was only God who could say to a person, your sins, they are, they are taken care of. I, am fear, I fear that I am so used to forgiveness that I am no longer surprised or astonished by it. 
Here's part of our problem, I think, with this particular story. We've had a very long time in our lives to get used to this idea that God forgives sins. If I say to you, Jesus is over here at Portview forgiving sins, you are likely to say, yeah, so what's new? He's been at Portview forgiving sins for 32 years, as long as there's been a Portview. It would be similar if you said to me, um, Pastor Bruce, your wife has red hair. My wife has had red hair for the 22 years I've known, except for those three months where she tried blonde. I have pictures, but will not go there. She's had red hair for the entire time I've known her. I am no longer astonished by the fact that my wife has red hair. But when I met her and started to go out with her, all of the guys on the floor of my dorm in college said, um, you know your kids that have red hair. Her sister was well-known around campus, Cheryl's sister. Her sister has two children who were already born, and they were walking around campus at the time, and they have fire engine orange red hair. Now, we clearly, our kids don't, unless Benjamin sometimes in the right sun looks a little bit red, but it doesn't really matter. I'm no longer surprised by the fact that she has red hair. We get used to things, and when we get used to things, we're no longer surprised by them. We're no longer astonished by the nature of what is taking place. Maybe part of that is also because Jesus' forgiveness doesn't shock us anymore. Yet they were shocked and astonished by it. Maybe it's because Jesus' forgiveness is of a different nature than my forgiveness and what I'm used to. To discover the nature of Jesus' forgiveness, I regret that I must briefly talk to you about a Greek word. The Greek word means letting go or sending away means leaving alone. It's to leave something so that something else may remain. And that's the word for forgive here that's used when Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. He means we're letting them go or we're sending away your sins. It's not like a bank account where we're declaring it above the, the, the red line even though it's been below the red line. It's, it's a lot more like finding a bunch of squatters in a building and forcing them to leave. Forgiveness here is a, it's a lot like snow removal, where I'm removing the snow from your driveway or my, my driveway, please, my driveway or my sidewalk so that what can be left is something I can walk on and actually use. That's forgiveness. We're sending it away. Again, it's, it's like Jesus takes my sins, wraps them in a sheet, puts them on a boat late at night, goes to the middle of Lake Michigan, ties weights on them, and sends them overboard. That's what forgiveness really is like. And that's what is, it's, the forgiveness here is all about. That was his forgiveness. His forgiveness is more like an event. Mine is more like a process. I forgive once and then five minutes later I discover I have a need to forgive all over again. Then I see that same person walking around Walgreens and I scratch my head and say, I wonder if I should just go the other way. Because His forgiveness is an event one time done and mine is much more like a process where over a long period of time I find the need to continuously over and over again forgive people. And maybe that's why I'm not astonished by Jesus' forgiveness. Because I just don't understand the differences between mine and His. Maybe I just so readily expect it that I can't possibly see what He is offering me and wanting to give me. Maybe the difference is that I'm not amazed because I struggle sometimes with my own forgiveness 
with just the simple things, like not being invited to tea parties. And I get hung up on these simple things, not realizing that forgiveness sometimes is far bigger than that. You know, it amazes me the things that people get mad about in church. When I was just a young, young youth pastor, I, I was 20 years old. We had a sound booth that was in the back, but it wasn't a sound booth like that one. It was just a little hole in the wall. Literally, it was a hole in the wall with a little that they cut in there. And then it had paneling over it. And I was in charge of special music as a youth pastor. Special music, which was never very special, really. Um, testimonies and Sunday night. And I was supposed to make sure things worked for the sound system. I mean, we had one microphone, and that was all we ever did. So... Things weren't quite right, so in the greeting time, I needed to go back from the platform, walk back and change it. Okay, that, that takes a little bit. I wanted to make sure I got it done. I'm a task-driven person, and so I walked back, and apparently, some guy stepped out into the aisle during the greeting time and put out his hand, and I didn't see him. I was focused on the sound system. Get it done. That's who I am. When he left the church... That was the first thing he mentioned. And that youth pastor you have, he didn't even shake my hand. When the pastor brought it to my attention, I said, I didn't even see his hand to shake it. However, I have shaken the man's hand a gazillion times, I guess that one time. It's amazing to me the things that people will bring up and say, you, how could you? And because sometimes it's such the small, trivial things that we have to work our way through to forgive, we sometimes lose sight of the astonishing nature of forgiveness. And we sometimes are convinced that we don't have a whole lot in our lives to be forgiven. But yet Jesus sees an astonishing fault in my life. He looked at the man and saw that there was a need for forgiveness. And he looks at me and he sees roughly the same thing. When Jesus sends my sins to the bottom of Lake Michigan, so to speak, it should astonish me. Perhaps it's not just the nature of forgiveness. Maybe it's also the nature of my need of forgiveness and the person and who I am. By all accounts, this was a good man let down through the roof. He was disabled, but yet a good man. From everything we could tell, he had friends. He was a likable guy. He had good friends who were committed to him. And really, what's wrong with him other than he's disabled? Sure, there were people in the room who thought that he was a sinner just by the nature of who he was. Yet, Jesus would never have been one of those people. Yet, Jesus looked at him and said immediately, your sins are forgiven, recognizing a need in the man's life that I'm just not sure I would want to address like that. Like I told you, I'm not sure I want to walk around pick and save, saying to people, your sins are forgiven. I'm not real sure what would happen to me. I shop at a fairly eclectic pick-and-save. There's all sorts of people with all sorts of backgrounds, religious backgrounds. I might start a holy war if I did it in my pick-and-save. I am struck by the fact that sickness humbles you. You get sick, you can't really do anything, you're just kind of laying there. It's a kind of a humbling experience. Someone even has to bring you your chicken noodle soup. Sometimes you even... Can I say throw up in a sermon? Sometimes when you throw up, even you have to do that with a little bit of help. Someone has to bring you a bucket or it's all over. You get the picture, you know. It's a real humbling experience. If you've ever visited people in the hospital, you know that can be a bit of a humbling experience. There you are. Yet Jesus, rather than addressing that, addresses the man's sin. 
sickness not only humbles you, but offending someone requires that you willingly humble yourself to receive forgiveness. When you have offended God or you have offended someone else, requires that you willingly humble yourself to receive the forgiveness that you need. And in that crowded room, there are probably people who saw the man and saw that he needed forgiveness because he wasn't a Pharisee. And others probably thought that he was just a good man in need of a break in life. But Jesus saw a man with an astounding fault. And he sees the same in you and me. Jesus astonishingly, astonishingly then requests that you forgive and you forgive others. Now, while this is not a part of the story, it appears so often that I wanted to throw it in because it's a part of the whole package of forgiveness. Look at somebody next to you and say, Jesus asks me to, to forgive. Just like, just like Cheryl asked sunshine to forgive, Jesus asks us to forgive. Indeed, we can't go around in the world without some level of forgiveness. Someone cuts you off in traffic. You have to decide what you're going to do about that. Take out a gun and blow their head off. Get in front of them and do 45 when there's a semi right next to you just to see what happens. I mean, there's all sorts of possible solutions. I've driven in a city over half of my life. I could come up with some really good solutions. Yesterday, we as a family were driving and there was a man who was passing in a way he shouldn't and waving and... Oh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, someone was telling us this story when we were all together and said that this person was driving on the shoulder when all the cars were stopped and waving at everybody as he went along. And Cheryl asked the all-important question, was he waving with all of his fingers? <laughs> I mean, there's lots of ways to deal with somebody cutting you off in traffic. The leaves fall in your yard and then you blow them onto somebody else's yard. <laughs> or you do like I do, you just don't rake them for a while and let the wind blow them onto other people's yards. It kind of has the same effect. And then you wonder, what should I do with this person? There's all sorts of opportunities in life for us to need to forgive. And frankly, in society, if we didn't forgive people, we would all be dead because someone would have killed us. That's just the reality. Lest you think you're above it all, my friend, I've seen you drive. Well, maybe not quite, but, you know, I've seen... We all have done things. And we all are in need of a level of forgiveness. And that's the only way that we can really exist. You get the picture. Forgiveness is about something a little different than that, though. It's not just about deciding that the punishment is going to fit the crime and, and those kinds of things. Forgiveness is about releasing your claim on revenge on the other person. And that's what Jesus did. It's about having someone do something to you and saying, I'm going to release my desire for, them to, for me to get even with them. I'm not going to go to their Facebook page and blow it up. I'm not going to do any of these other things that I've decided I maybe could do. I'm not going to spread rumors about them. I'm not going to wail around like I'm a first grader. Forgiveness is a little different than that. I'm supposed to release them from any claim I have in revenge in their life. That doesn't re mean that I don't still condemn what has happened. That doesn't mean that, that society doesn't lay claim on punishment for things that, which were really wrong. It just means that I no longer claim to do whatever I think I have a right to do to them. Because I am releasing them from that. Setting them free so that something else may remain which is by far better. It's a spectacular request to request that you forgive someone else. Who can forgive sins? 
Really, it's only God who forgives sins. So when he asks me to do it, the only hope I have of truly forgiving someone who has wounded me is if I trust and rely entirely on his forgiving power in my life to forgive them. It's my only hope. Someone deeply wounds me. Unless you think that pastors never deal with that. I promised myself I wouldn't tell any of those stories, but I can just assure you, the wounds run deep from all sorts of things which have happened in my life. Because that happens to everybody. And everybody has an opportunity to forgive or to not forgive. Everybody has the opportunity to hang on to bitterness or to release the other person from it. And it's up to us what we're going to do with that. Jesus offers an astonishing amount of power to deal with the forgiveness issue. The power to forgive comes from God and God alone. And that's what's so amazing in this story. What's so amazing is the fact that they understood exactly what Jesus was saying and doing. He was forgiving sins. And who can do that? Except God alone. Indeed, the power to forgive someone who has wounded me comes only from God. Where do I see that power? Well, after they have the forgiveness discussion, Jesus turns to the man who's been let down through the roof, and he looks at the man and says, uh, I got this one. Then he looks at everybody else and says, So that you know the power of the Son of Man. He looks back at the man and he says, You're healed. The man who once was paralyzed and had been let down through the roof by his friends because he couldn't possibly get in is healed. And the power to heal then is seen as the power also to forgive. And it's underscoring the power of forgiveness because Jesus chose to heal the man. Jesus is at his best when he forgives rather than when he heals. The power to release is even greater than the power to hang on. Now, if I were to ask you that question, which is easier, for you to forgive someone or for you to heal someone, that would be an interesting question, wouldn't it? If I were to take you to a ward in a hospital where there were plenty of people who were paralyzed and I asked you, can you heal them? And then I asked you, is it easier to heal or to forgive? The obvious answer is it's easier to to forgive than to heal. Maybe that's why Jesus led with forgiveness. To underscore that true forgiveness requires a great power that comes from God. Not from anything I have inside of myself. Because that power is from Jesus, when I turn my back on the only power source I have to forgive, true deep forgiveness becomes almost impossible. So when or if I get mad at God or you get mad at God, I'm getting mad at the only one who who offers me any hope to be able to forgive in the situation. And if I push him away... I'm pushing away the only option I have for forgiving Him. It's at that moment that I really ought to go to God and say, God, I am really upset. Maybe you want to say that in stronger terms. God, I'm really upset. I'm mad at you. And I'm really sorry. Can you help me through this? Because it's your only hope to forgive. Jesus is at His best when He is beaten, bruised and bloody and hanging on the cross and still says, Father, forgive them. And you are never more like Jesus than when you are beaten, bruised, and bloody, and you still choose to forgive. You are the most like God when you give grace to other people and forgive them. And that power to forgive comes directly from God. 
The message of forgiveness is a message of real hope and real change. As a matter of fact, it is the message of hope. And hope, aside from a forgiving world and a forgiving, forgiving life, doesn't really exist. My only hope in my marriage or you in your marriage is that you have a forgiving marriage. We as pastors have had the uh, wonderful privilege to talk to a lot of young people before they get married. And um, I hope it's been productive time. We always talk to them about the need for, we call it appropriate apathy. It's not the best term, but we haven't been able to do any better. But what we mean by appropriate apathy is that when I leave the cupboard door open, as I'm prone to do, Cheryl will decide, though she didn't early in our marriage, to just close the cupboard door. Early in our marriage, that was a bit of a production. When she leaves dishes around, particularly if they have just a little bit of milk in them, a Cheryl's share, it happens so often I named it, a Cheryl's share of milk, I have decided that rather than commenting about how much milk gets left in a cup for a day or two, I'll just take the cup and I'll take care of it. Why? Because I don't care. It isn't worth it. I'm not wrecking three days of my marriage over a little bit of milk left in a cup. Why wreck your marriage? Because someone left the, car, uh, the, the door open on the cupboard. It's not worth it. Some things just aren't worth caring about. The, if you've been married a long time and you recognize this in your own life, just kind of raise, wave your hand and raise. See, those of you who are not married or are newly married, look at it, they, they agree. This isn't really worth it. Let it go. I'm saving you lots of... I just saved you $1,000 worth of marriage counseling for the first year of your marriage. You can... I'll take 50% of that. You can write your checks out. And not just kidding. The truth is that even in a marriage relationship, we come to understand over time that for a certain amount of forgiveness is simply required. The only hope for a happy marriage is that you learn that. The only hope for a happy life is that you learn sooner rather than later that you ought to forgive. And you discover that the way to do that is to rely on His power. People always want a formula for that. Let me give you one. Here you go. Jesus is the one who gave us the formula for how to forgive. Jesus says, love those who abuse you and pray for those who have despitefully used you. Now, I know I can't write a how to forgive for dummies based on that formula right there. It isn't long enough, but I'm telling you, it really works. Every time you feel that you feel like you don't like somebody, you feel that what they did to you, you feel that hurt and that pain and it comes back up again, if you'll simply pray for them, pray good things for them, pray that God will bless them, that He will cause them to be happy, that He will give them wonderful blessings from heaven, I promise you, you cannot continue to pray for them and hate them at the same time. But I can't even pray for them. Uh, See, forgiveness, it only comes from God. And you are never more like Jesus than when you have been beaten, bloodied, and bruised. And yet you choose to forgive. Would you pray with me?